everybody. This is Rhonda Thompson. You know what time it is. It is Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it is time for Me Powered with Rhonda. Now, if you have never joined us on this podcast, we want to let you know how you can watch. There's many different ways that you can tune in. Lady J, could you please tell them how they can tune in tonight? If this is your first time tuning into the show or to JQLM Radio and you would like to share with your family, friends, and followers on all the different ways that they can tune in, be sure to tell them to download the JQLM Radio app on their Apple or Android devices. You can also listen live to JQLM Radio 24-7-365 via Amazon Alexa, TuneIn app, the Stream of Simple Radio app, and a host of other platforms of which you can find located on our website where you can also listen live at egoentertainmentnet.com. Also, don't forget to follow, like, and share us. We do follow back. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at JQLM Radio. You can also connect with Ego Entertainment Network at EgoEntNet. That's E-G-O-E-N-T-N-E-T on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter also. Also, connect with us on LinkedIn at Ego Entertainment Network. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and share our YouTube channel, Ego TV Network at youtube.com forward slash ego tv network all right and you can join me and follow me as well you can follow me on um instagram at me.powered or at Rhonda t and atl you can also follow me on facebook at me powered or my personal page is Rhonda thompson and we've got a website that is in the works i know you've been hearing it for a minute but i promise it's coming it's going to be mepowered.co so make sure that you have that locked in so that when we're ready to launch that you will be the first one to be a part of that so tonight i would like to let you know what we're going to be talking about now this evening i don't have a guest per se however the topic that we're going to be talking about is a very uh important one and uh in light of everything that has happened and tonight's going to be a little bit different um lady j may join in she may not we're going to get a conversation going but tonight i really want to encourage you to chime in and make comments and interact with me one-on-one because the subject matter that we're going to be speaking about today is very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. And uh, in the wake of the recent school shooting at Texas, that was a week ago today, I want to talk about how this affects people and on how many different levels it affects people. Now, before we get started, I just want to make it clear, I am not wanting to, nor am I going to try to dissect this investigation. That's not my frame of reference that I'm coming from this evening. What I want to come to you from is a place of looking at this as how a trauma impacts the entire community and on what level, especially when children are killed. And uh, tonight may be a little bit graphic to listen to. So if you got little ones around you, I'm going to be giving you resources on how to speak to the kids and deal with them. But, you know, it may be a little bit more mature of a subject matter. And so you can use your own discretion as to who listens and who does not. But it's very important, even with the children, because, you know, these kids that were involved in this and that were affected by this were fourth graders, which are 10 and 11 years old. So, you know, your child, I'm sure, is dealing with a lot of things and I do counseling, I do coaching, and I've got my own business, and I've got clients, and this has really shocked a lot of people. And I've got clients, uh, adults that and juveniles that are impacted by this. And I just wanted to share some resources, and I wanted to share some coping skills and techniques on how to approach when a major trauma like this, especially a school shooting takes place, a mass shooting, and how do we approach it? You know, what do we do? How do you answer the questions that the kids have? How do you as a parent decide to let your child go to school? Different things like that. So I invite you in on this conversation tonight because this conversation is not about me. It's not about anything else. It's about getting resources into everybody's hands for how do we deal with such a traumatic thing, you know, on every single different level. Now, I will share with you one of my personal things that I've been through. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people have had the experience of 
losing a child um, to gunfire. And that is a very unexpected loss. Uh, now, before we get into everything, of course, we want to give our deepest condolences to the family members um, because a lot of the funerals started today for those kids. And um, it, it's a heartbreaking situation. It truly is. So this evening we're talking about what to do in the wake of a school mass shooting. And uh, we're going to be bringing up several different things. And uh, you're going to find out that there are some things that I found out while I was researching this that I actually wasn't aware of that was quite enlightening to me as well. Um, and one of the things that I am trained in is crisis intervention or first responder. And that's one of my fields. So whenever there's a crisis, there's certain things that are needed. There's certain things people don't realize. And the way that we respond is very critical, especially to the families beyond the day of a, a traumatic event that happened such as this, which was last week, Tuesday. So that's where we want to get started. And um, if you want to, if you're on Facebook, you can go ahead and comment and we can bring your comments on air so you don't have to engage per se visually, but we can get your comments, your questions, your concerns brought up and then we can talk about it. So that's what I want to do is open this up tonight and uh, hopefully begin a pathway of healing. So that's where we're going to start. And uh, Lady J is listening by, so I'm sure she's going to tune in, chime in from here and there, and um, we will get the conversation going. So one of the things I found out is, okay, in light of the recent events in, in Texas, um, of course, there was uh, 21 people that were affected by this, 19 children and two teachers. That is uh, almost as high as the Columbine tragedies where 20 children were killed uh, in 2019. So uh, this is being sought as the second most violent school shooting in the last decade. Okay. And we want to talk about that. So as we get going here, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring Lady J in and uh, get the conversation going. So I'm not the only one talking, but um, I don't want to make light of anything because it is very serious. And we want to, you know, just open it up and let you guys know this is a safe place to talk and to get your feelings out. Even if you're angry, even if you're sad, you don't have to filter yourself because this is, you know, we, we've got to talk about things in order to heal. So. As we get going here, so Lady J, let me ask you this. Um, you're a mother like I am, and you've got children, school-age kids, and, you know, how has this affected you and your family and your kids? Have you noticed anything in your own family? Uh, I would have to say no, um, only because I, I'm constantly talking to my kids about, you know, different things. Uh, whether it's fights, somebody bringing a gun to school, shooting and things of that sort. Um, and this is not the first time this has happened, of course. Um, and I'm constantly reminding them about <clears throat> society and how, uh, unfortunately, those in power just talk a good talk, but they don't necessarily walk the walk and do the things yeah. necessary to make change. So um, I don't it hasn't really affected them, you know, um, to that extent. However, because uh, my children have been at school when someone uh, has brought a gun or a knife to school, um, it definitely is, uh, <clears throat> I won't say shocking, but it's disturbing yeah. to them. So constantly sending your kids off, you know, and they're not in your reach or in your view. And um and praying and hoping that those who are, you know, uh, responsible for their care keeps them safe is can be nerve wracking, especially when we live in times like this, where students can just come in with knives or guns and, you know, <clears throat> shoot up the place or, or stab somebody. And unfortunately, I'm not really sure. The thing that's different about this particular case, though, is that mm -hmm. this individual was 18 and he was at an elementary not really understanding you know how or why that even happened yeah yeah and um and and i agree with you um you know there is no reasoning why or there is no explanation anytime anybody does something like this there is no ultimate reason like oh okay i understand 
um, what I do know, what I've learned as well as everybody else, just watching this and following this is the gentleman was just turned 18 and he was able to go buy uh, semi-automatic and he bought like 357 rounds of ammunition. And then a couple days later, he bought another semi-automatic and more rounds. And he's 18 and he bought it from the same gun shop. So that would make me question one, why would he be allowed to buy that much at 18, especially semi-automatic? You know, this wasn't a rifle for hunting. This wasn't, you know, a pistol. It was definitely a semi-automatic. And, you know, and I know we can get into all kinds of politics, which I really don't want to do, but, you know, that brings up the um, question of how is the gun laws as far as the age to buy them? Is 18 old enough? Is it really? Because you can't even vote. You can't even drink. You know what I mean? So why can you buy a gun at 18 with no background check, with no waiting period, with no nothing, with no license? Why are you allowed to do that? So that that's question number one. Um, now, in this particular case, you know, he purchased the gun. Now, when I did the my research on school shootings, do you realize, Lady J, and I did not know this, um, to date from this year alone, January first of 2022 till today, May 31st, there's already been 27 school shootings this year in the U.S. And, you know, we've, we hear about the big ones like this, but we don't hear about the ones where one child was killed or two children were killed. And when I started researching, I was shocked to find out there's already been 27 school shootings this year. And those are in school where students were the target and not something that just happened at a school, like, you know, right. after a basketball game or something that this was specifically the students were the targets. So that, that was disturbing right there. And, um, I, I started thinking about it. I was like, you know, what is it with school shootings and what's, what's the trend? Cause we've been hearing about it so much. And I was wondering, you know, when did this really start? And what I found out is the earliest, school shooting that was recorded was July 26 and 1764 for students. Mm -hmm. So this has been going on for centuries. This right. is not something new. I, I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me because not I mean, the media reports what it wants to report and right. they paint the picture of, as we know, um, they paint the picture of what they want things to look like, yeah. you know, um, so, but I will say this in, in regards to that, I really honestly believe not every child is like mentally disturbed to the point where they have like a uh, dissociative disorder or a multiple personality disorder or, you know, or, or something like that. Right. Uh, what people don't understand is when you are a parent and you bring children into this world, your your example mm -hmm. um in in your parenting um also what you speak to them what you mm -hmm. what, what you speak into them what you say to them uh how you discipline them yeah. um how you whether or not you hold them accountable whether or not you validate them all of these things shape make and mold your children's mindsets mm -hmm. the way they see themselves the way they see other right. people how they interact with people their social Yep. Um, uh, um, uh, their social strengths and weaknesses, all of these things combined. Mm -hmm. Now I'm talking like this psychologist major. That's all right. Psychology as well. Yeah. All of these things combined shape and make and mold them into who they become and then go out into the world and and portray and exhibit that behavior to, right. towards other people. If you don't have a healthy way of teaching your kids how to deal with conflict resolution, mm -hmm. how to use their words, you know, you know, um, how to when to ignore, when to respond, when all of these things are necessary. And I don't know too many people that really sit down and have those conversations and teach with teach their kids that I do consistently i'm constantly telling my kids you, didn't, you that doesn't warrant a response you don't have to respond to that or right. this is you know constantly telling them you're great you're beautiful you're smart right. you're you're this you know people are going to talk about you people are going to say this people are going to do that 
one of my children is a um, is a special needs child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people have tried to bully, you know, bully her and things of that sort. But I'm constantly teaching them these things so that they have tools and resources they can use when they go out into the world. And they kids have to get to the point where they understand that sometimes whether it is 300 kids in the school, if all 300 kids in the school are, you know, uh, uh, are seeing you one way or or they're going left and you know you're supposed to go right, I don't care what they say, how, what names they call you, you stand right. on what you know is right. Because at the end of the day, there'll be re- repercussions for them and not you. And I think that is the key to what is being missed when these kids go into these schools, they open gunfire or start stabbing or whatever the case may be, because they're not being taught right. those things at home. Yeah. And you brought up a good point because this, this uh, particular shooter was 18, but yet he went into an elementary school. So that's kind of unique and different because these kids would not have had any interaction with him prior. So why he chose an elementary school, who knows, but you know, and when kids are going to school and they're going through the drills, unfortunately, it's becoming uh, to a point where they're becoming desensitized to a degree of people getting shot and people, things happening. And because you're hearing so much of it um, and it, and it's, it's hard for, for kids to understand, you know, and for parents that, Hey, if, if your child goes to school, they may not come back. And so that instills a lot of fear that instills a lot of anxiety. And tomorrow is June 1st, which is actually the, one of the things June is known for is national PTSD month. And that's typically for veterans, but PTSD is, you know, any type of post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely going to create PTSD in a lot of these kids. And, um, and I did some research about, um, Sandy Hook, you know, they they followed some kids from after Sandy Hook when that that happened till now when they heard about this. And one of the stories that I saw was one of the girls who was now 18. She just heard uh, about it and on TV and she immediately started screaming and she regressed back to what she went through. So it started everything all over for her. And they had interviewed her. And, you know, you see them interviewing the kids. Right. Which is kind of disturbing to me to see news have a 10 year old who just went through this. Hey, what did you think? What were you feeling? I'm like, what the hell is that about? You're traumatizing this kid a second time. And the parent was sitting right there. Didn't say a word. And that goes next to the parent, not being an advocate for the child. A word. And the child 10 year old boy was speaking as if he was the man. And the mother was just like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm." didn't say a word. I'm like, are you kidding me? Number one, I wouldn't let you ask my child how he was. And you're asking them before I could ask them in the wake of this just happened. Um, You know, and on a personal note, I mean, I have some personal experience, not with a school shooting, but as you know, and some people may know, though a lot of people may not know, um, my grandson was murdered on his 13th birthday. He was shot in the head when he was asleep in bed. And I remember and it was eight years ago. And I remember how that affected my daughter, his mother, how it affected his sister, how it affected his brother, how it affected the school, how it affected his classmates, you know, and there was things like they had his locker all decorated. And, you know, one of the things when kids go through something major like this is all those elements of anxiety and all those reminders, those triggers, they've got to go to school. And, you know, this just happened. They've they have classmates that are not there anymore. They have questions. They don't know what to feel. They're seeing all these memorials. They're passing by the lockers and they don't know. And they're, they're 10 and 11 years old. I mean, how do you comprehend that when adults can't even comprehend it? And again, that's why I say that it's a a lot of this really falls on the parents, even the 18 year old who went in there Mm -hmm. and shot up the place. I mean, the parents of the Sandy Hook, you know, um, child, I mean, how can you not know what's going on with your kid when they were planning this for, you know, however long? And well, parents can be de- that detached and not know they can because they don't pay attention to their kids and they yes, just let do internet and they just, you know, let them and they don't check mm-hmm. on anything. So and they can I mean. not know what's happening because they're not connected. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying as parents, mm-hmm. when, uh, like, for instance, like, 
I had four children. Those are four different types of personalities. Yes. Every last one of my kids are different. I yep. have two boys and two girls, you know, and I can tell it, somebody can say uh, the school can call and say, you know, well, you know, your son, your oldest son is in, in, in the principal's office, you know, for because he got into a fight. And immediately I'll say, I already know he didn't start it. Somebody else did something to him and and he retaliated mm -hmm. because I know my son. Right. Now, if it was my youngest son, my first thing is he probably threw the first punch. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I know their personality, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and if you if I don't understand how you can be a parent mm -hmm. and live with your kids every day. And I, I guess you could say if you're an involved parent and not know yeah. like what's going on with your child, you ought to be sometimes, you know, you can look at your kids and know when something is wrong. They say, oh, you say, what's, what's going mm -hmm. on? They say, right. oh, no, I'm fine. Now, Rhonda, now if you're looking at your child, you know, good and well, something mm -hmm. is wrong, even though they're telling you that everything yeah. is okay, you know? And so I think that that is, it's a, being a parent, it, being involved and being, like you said, connected and paying attention mm -hmm. is, is key. But I really think that this particular situation, this 18 year old, the vibe that I got from it, you know how, um, let's say a, a child that, or some of the serial killers, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, they grow up in, let's say, abusive homes or something, right. and then they go and take their, let's say it's their mother or something, mm -hmm. they go and take that anger out on other women that look like their mother, you right. know, trying to right get back at her over and over again. That's the only right. thing that I can think of as to why this 18-year-old went into this elementary school and did what he did yeah, yeah and that that hasn't been uh investigated yet to, from what i understand because you know um he lived with his grandmother so mm -hmm. right there he wasn't with his biological parents he lived with his grandmother um mm -hmm. but he shot his grandmother in the face first before he went to the school and nobody knows why you know yet that hasn't come out yet um and you know he struggled uh, he got the truck, he took off in the truck, he crashed it in a ditch. Uh, and the, the school, the teacher left the door open, propped open in the back that's always locked. And he saw that and he went in there. So it was like, there's so many things that don't add up. And then why did the police wait almost an hour? You know, it's just, there's so many things. And like yeah. I said, I, I don't want to dissect the case. I want to talk about the aftermath. What do we do to help the, the, the victims and to help the family members and even the people that were not involved with what I've noticed, what I've seen is um, one of the things I do is I work, uh, I counsel at a couple of different locations. And one of the locations I counsel at, I had a client who um, she called me distraught. And she's like, Rhonda, you know, um, the shooting has really got me petrified. And it was a trigger for her because she had suffered uh, gun violence and lost one of her siblings. So that was an immediate trigger. And she had kids. She's like, Rhonda, I can't let my kid go to school. And that's here in Georgia. And this happened in Texas. But it affected her. Now, is she an involved parent? I don't know. But she, she is one of the people that um, it's hard to say. I can't really talk about it. But. One, the type of clients I deal with with one of my jobs is they're already coming to us for help for something that, you know, they're, they're struggling with. And so they're not 100 um, percent available or connected, if, if I could say that, you know, because I deal with a lot of different clients with substance abuse, with family violence, with anger, with all of that. So you've got parents of all you got parents that are involved in all these things too. So they're, they're disconnected because they're not even in touch with reality, but yet mm -hmm. they're being triggered and they're afraid and they don't know how to respond. And then I've got juveniles who are afraid to go to school and they're like, that's why I don't want to go to school. That's why I skip school because some things are happening. So it's like an online school. Right. And yeah. it's like a catch 22. And I even said to my kids this weekend, I said, you know, I'm so glad that all of you are grown because my youngest son, Denzel, is 26. I said, because I'll tell you what, if it was school, if you kids were school age today, there's no way you would go to public school. I would not have my kids in public school. That's just me. They would be I, I wouldn't be able to homeschool them, but they would be on an online school or something and be involved. But there's no way I would let them go to public school with everything that's going on, because it's just too many things, you know, that right. will happen. And I think that too, um, so there's a, a such thing as cultural trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when it comes to, when we talk about, I'll say the culture of um, 
I'll say our society when it comes to uh, police and mm-hmm. citizens. I think a lot of the aftermath of the trauma in, in that regard, I see a lot of people upset that it took them an hour to respond. And the excuse was that they were afraid yeah. to approach um, with, it, you know, with him shooting with this, <clears throat> with this automatic. But here's my thing with that. Um, there's a huge issue with uh, law enforcement. If you're scared to approach a a gunman, that indicates that this is not the job for you. Firemen Mm -hmm. constantly run into burning buildings, risking their lives every day because they know that is what the job entails. As a police officer, it is your duty to serve and protect. That means you running into the line of fire to to protect, especially these are babies. These are not you know, these are babies. And so right. for me, that was the thing that really just was gut and gut wrenching mm-hmm. and heart wrenching to me. Cause how many of those kids yeah. have been saved? Those that died and those who were injured, right. the, the little girl, I don't know if he, uh, there was an 11 year old girl who mm-hmm. took the blood from her mm-hmm. friend and wiped it all over her body and played dead. dead. Yeah. So that she was yeah. shot. Can you imagine yeah. how, how traumatizing that yeah. was for her to take the blood of her friend just right. so that I can't even begin to yeah. imagine that at 11 so I think for me right. probably for a lot of parents um because let's just be honest a lot of those schools have police presence whether it is security or actual uh you know IMPD or or mm-hmm. PPD or, you know Georgia PD or Texas PD whatever the case may be right right um the fact that you would sit back and wait and yeah. watch yeah. And, and the parents are our parents are, you know, screaming for you to go in, go in. And they had 19 officers in the, on the hallways, but the door was locked. It's like, what, how do you not have the, you know, but like I said, there's so many holes to it, but you brought up a point, a great point about that one girl who covered herself. She Mm -hmm. was able to think that smart in a, instant like that to, I need to play dead. And, you know, you don't know if her parent taught her that, or if that's just a survival instinct. And then you've got all the other kids. Right. Right. Or, and you've got all the other kids that had, they responded sooner. There were several accounts that, um, unfortunately a lot of children bled out because they weren't helped and they could have been saved. So that's another thing. And it's like, how do you, explain to parents that are watching the police. And, and I remember when that happened with my grandson, it's like, we were trying to get answers and the police were not answering and they wouldn't let us in. They wouldn't let us see. And I, I remember how frustrating that was and, and how you were just totally helpless. And, you know, I'm surprised that a riot didn't take out where the parents just went in and pushed everybody out of the way, you know, right, um, right, the right. child was in there, you know, right. but, um, but yeah, there was, there was so many things. Um, and I know we have to take a break cause I'm looking at the time here and I know it's just me and you, but, um, I know we got to take a break, uh, cause I do want to focus on, um, you know, presenting resources and different things for people, how to put the pieces back together and how to make not sense of this, but how to talk to your kids, how to deal with, you know, the anxiety, how to deal with all the, you know, the grief, all the questions, all of that, and, you know, resources that are available for everybody, you know, when we come back. So, um, so this is going to be, uh, this is a hard thing to talk about, but it's necessary. It's necessary. You know, we need to talk about it and we need to let people know what's available to them. And, you know, uh, yeah, so that, it is hard for me to talk about because it's personal to me too, because it's, it's bringing up memories for me. So, you know, and, and he was only 13. So 10, 11, 12, 13, that's still, mm, you, you don't expect, you know, to have to bury your child. You never expect that, especially an innocent child that was gunned down, especially, you know, a kid that was just doing what they normally do on a typical day and then somebody shoots them that that's a, a different kind of grief that's a different kind of sorrow that's a different kind of anger than if somebody gets hit by a car and I'm not making light of it but it's different when somebody is taken from you um so I feel for all these parents of these kids and you know the families of the teachers but 
you know, especially, you know, all those babies and, uh, you know, their family members. So I want to make sure we provide resources and, uh, you know, places for people to look to get some answers. So, um, so I, so we, I guess we will take, cause you're on mute. I didn't hear you. I see your lips moving, but I didn't hear you. So yeah, you take us the break. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, all right. So we will be right back after uh, these commercials and we will pick up our, our conversation. Have you subscribed yet to the free bi-monthly digital interactive ego magazine? No. Well, head on over to www.egoentertainmentnet.com to subscribe now. This magazine is all about supporting and showcasing excellence in communities everywhere. From music, arts and culture, relationships, education, politics, celebrities, food, and so much more. While you're flipping through the pages, just click on the buttons and social icons and you'll be taken to a whole other world behind the articles and ads. At Ego Entertainment, everyone is a star. There is something in it for everyone. And we hope you are positively impacted by what you see and will continue to support Ego Magazine. Track CBPD by Arulo. The Gallery Event Center and Ego Entertainment Network has teamed up to bring you the number one all-inclusive VIP premier event package. Get ready to drop mouths open with this one. It includes six hour venue rental, unlimited tables and chairs, table and chair covers, chair sashes, table centerpieces, charger plates, projector and screen, 65 inch TV, wireless microphone, surround sound, complimentary drinks, soda, water, beer, or wine. Also, travel to and from event for Ego Entertainment Network, setup and breakdown of equipment, four hours of services, including recorded media coverage and interviews, audio and video, editing of all data captured with music background, customized graphics B-roll footage of your event, red carpet or step and repeat setup, coordination and interviews on your carpet or step and repeat. You do not want to miss out on this amazing opportunity and the packages all inclusive for just $3,000. Book now at thegalleryeventcenter.com. That's thegalleryeventcenter.com. You can also contact the Gallery Event Center at 317-534-6399. The VIP Premier Event Package. Hey there. If you can hear my voice, this is Pamela host of Hospital the Tea, here to remind you that Ego Entertainment Network has a lot for your business. Listen, honey, you need to get with it. Ego Entertainment offers various services, media coverage, red carpet services, promo interviews on air. They offer meet and greet services, honey, not to mention other event services. You want to get in gear. Ego Entertainment is empowered, greatness optimized. We're now booking and spots are going fast. Ego serves the United States and all event types, honey. So if you are opening a business, having a store opening, a restaurant opening, and you want some coverage, Ego Entertainment is the way to go. Call or text 317-886-0296 or go to egoentertainmentnet.com. All right, we're back and I need to go ahead and uh, mention my premier sponsor, Rob Delitas. He is the co-author of Kill the Craving and he is the founder of ERP Therapy for Substance Abuse. He provides corporate training, individual training, group settings, and uh, he's available in several different states. And um, so if there's any type of substance abuse or that which is beyond addiction chemically, he is the person to contact. So contact Rob Delitas, erptherapy.com. And his email is er, roberpman at gmail.com. All right. So we're talking about the trauma of a mass shooting and especially when kids are killed and gunned down, you know, how do we um, begin to put the pieces back together? 
as a nation, as a family, as individuals. And, um, and I, the second half, I wanted to go ahead and focus on providing resources and different things that are available. Now, you and I, Lady J, we both have psychology backgrounds and stuff. And so, you know, the, the obvious things that come up is, you know, with uh, a major traumatic, traumatic event like this is going to bring up anxiety. It's going to bring up anger. It's going to bring up PTSD. It's going to bring up, you know, fear that is paralyzing. Some kids could, uh, I was reading up on the Sandy Hook uh, people that they followed now. And, you know, a lot of responses to them is some of the kids, you know, they, they became mute for a while. They stopped speaking. They, they didn't engage. They uh, pulled their hair out. They pulled their eyelashes out because especially when you're young like that, uh, you don't have a means of communication. You don't have a way to express how you feel. And I found this great book for preschool kids or for younger kids called Sometimes um, I get very, very scared and it has a bunch of animals and they're all talking in a group setting about different things that scare them. Uh, and there's different ways to talk to our kids about things because you can't talk to uh, an eight year old the same way you would a 15 year old. You know, you have to meet them on their level. That's number one is is take into account the age of the child and then also you know, respect the fact that they witnessed this or they were part of it. So that they are a lot more aware of things than you may realize. And don't take that for granted that they don't know because they were just in the midst of it. You know, and a lot of times we try to shield our kids and not let them know about some of the dangers. But in this case, where kids are directly involved, um, you know, you've got different types of trauma. You've got the direct trauma. You've got the vicarious trauma of watching. And like you just mentioned, that one girl, how she, you know, at 11 considered in the midst of it, taking the, the blood of her friend and covering herself that, that I, I can't even imagine what her counseling journey and going forward is going to be like, because that's trauma upon trauma upon trauma. And, but yet you respond, you know, that survival mechanism kicks in, or like you said, she may have seen it on TV or watched something or, Hopefully, you know, her parents taught her something like that. And that's not something we think about to teach our kids, mm -hmm. you know, but go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, yeah, I agree. I think that um, like you mentioned a lot of different uh, symptoms that mm -hmm. are the result of a traumatic situation. Right. Um, and I think when it comes to a lot of those symptoms, especially anger, um, because you know when kids are angry, they they express themselves in different ways, especially kids that yeah. that little. Um, I think it's important that uh, adults give them different outlets. So, um, uh, uh, one of the things that I teach people that come through the bounce back program is you 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 definitely need to find a constructive outlet to release anger and frustration, yeah. um, and pain, whatever the case may. Be. I don't care if that's art. I don't care if it's singing, right. if it's exercising, right. if it's you know, if it's drawing, if it's playing a sport, right. whatever the case may be, you need something that will allow you to release yep. the anger and frustration. I don't care if it's you going into a room or going outside and just screaming at the top yeah. of your lungs, crying, whatever you need to do while you are going, while you're using, while you are utilizing other tools mm -hmm. and resources to go through the transition of healing from that trauma. Right. And um, I think that that is extremely important, especially for little kids to allow them to do that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, mm -hmm. Giving them the opportunity to explore what is going to make them feel uh, better in releasing that anger. So, right. and, and, and it can be difficult for a parent, you know, uh, for a parent too, because, you know, even when our kids don't experience trauma, it gets on our nerves sometimes when they're whining all the time or they, you know, constantly are needing something. But when your child mm -hmm. has experienced something extremely yeah. traumatic, it is extremely important to give them an outlet and yeah. trust and believe you me, you are not going to be it. As the parent, you have to accept that you mm -hmm. are not the outlet that right. your child needs. It is completely yeah. different. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, you know, and the kids are going to respond in different ways um, based upon their age. You know, some yeah. some may shut down and they may not know why. Some may start having nightmares. Some, you know, will, you'll see those PTSD signs. Uh, loud noises will start to bother them or smells or different things, you know, will remind them 
of things. And, you know, uh, with PTSD, it's going to be intrusive. So it's going to come on suddenly. They may not want to go somewhere. They may regress and start bedwetting. They may regress as a child. They may be afraid to trust, or they may be, um, I was talking to my, my oldest daughter before this broadcast, and I had invited her to listen because uh, she's the mother of my grandson um, that was murdered. And she said one of the hard, one of the things that if she could give advice to anybody uh, that loses a child this way is she said the worst thing you could ever say, the thing she hated more than anything. And people don't realize there's some things that are helpful and there's some things that are not helpful. Um, is everybody would say, she said, she hates these words. I'm sorry for your loss because she's like, mom, it's not like I lost him. I didn't go somewhere and lose him, you know, and people mean well, or they would say, well, you know, God must've needed another angel. She said that went through her, like she would not believe. And she didn't know how to and that made her angry because she was already processing her own things. So, you know, in, in the light of a crisis, when something like this happens, it's, you know, everybody, most people want to help and, they, and they're they good natured. They're good hearted. They want to do what they can do, but people don't know what to say. They don't know what to do Now, in a crisis situation, you know, like, especially if you're a first responder, you know, especially after something ma major happens, it's the little things that people don't realize that you need. Like, for example, you know, um, if, if somebody, you know, they can't express anything, one of the best things you can do is just ask what what is it that you need? What can I do for you? Because they will tell you, I don't want nothing leave or whatever. But even sometimes just your presence alone is more powerful than you would realize. You know, maybe somebody needs a glass of water. Maybe somebody needs, you know, help. You, you, thinking about how are they going to bury this child? Maybe they don't, they need financial support. Maybe, you know, these are things we don't think about. Maybe they've got other kids and they're just overwhelmed because all, you know, the, the victims, some, a lot of them had siblings and cousins and, you know, so it's like, they don't know what to do. They don't know what they need. And right. so, you know, as far as a crisis type situation, taking care of those basic needs, a lot of times is the thing that we don't think about that people need because we're thinking on a big level or we're thinking on this great big spiritual thing and we want, and, and they're not even there yet, you know, and, and then a lot of them may not even believe in God or they may be angry. So it's like, you just don't say anything about that mm -hmm. when it comes to something like this, because, you know, right now their basic ability to comprehend because they're in the middle of a grieving process, which, mm -hmm. you know, you've got five stages. The first one is shock, disbelief and denial. It's like you, you, you can't believe this has happened. So a lot of times they're not even connect and it's only been a week. It's only been a week. So it's going to take people time to connect the dots a lot of times. And we have to allow them that space and that time to go through each one of the grieving stages. And that includes the additional children that were affected by it too. And they may go from stage to stage and bounce back and forth or stay in one for a minute. And that's okay. That's, there's no rules and no reasons or rhyme or, or you know, way it has to be because everybody grieves their own, their right. own way and on their own time, you know? Right. Um, but for kids though, uh, one of the best things that you can do is, especially if it's little kids is, um, keep their routine as familiar as possible, you know, um, mm -hmm. not letting them listen to a lot of the news and the media, especially because it's bombarding and stuff like that. As you, you, you want to keep them away from a lot of that, uh, especially if they're younger, because they may be flashing up the, the pictures of the friends and, you know, mm -hmm. even on the anniversary now, every August, uh, the news will still do a thing and they flash up you know, my grandson's picture. And it's like, whoa. And that catches me off guard all the time. So just mm -hmm. seeing, you know, their, their friends and seeing the pictures and seeing all of that, that's continually traumatizing. So one of the things that, you know, parents can do is, is, is limit their amount of media and, you know, news and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, you know, create as familiar of an environment and as routine as normal of a routine as possible so that the kids can get back into the flow of, you know, a normal day. And it's going to take time and you have to give them that space to create that time. 
Right. I think that um, uh, one of the uh, resources that a lot of the families can take advantage of is the um, gun violence trauma uh, through the American Counseling Association. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one thing as well. And I think those points, too, that you pointed out (laughs) with the younger kids are key. Um, I also think that... um, when your kids are small or, you know, uh, uh, this small, I think that, uh, just reassuring them and loving on them a little more is going to be key as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think that that will help too with the fear factor or the or being scared, them constantly being in fear, like you said, that PTSD, being in familiar arms of their parents, you know, um, allowing them to even. I, I remember um, there was something that happened to me that was traumatic when I was younger, and I slept in the bed with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight. yeah. So, um, some things you are going to have to, um, I'll say, just acquiesce to you know, whatever it is that they need. And, and, and don't get me wrong as a parent, uh, the parent themselves also have, uh, have things that they're dealing with too, the trauma, even with the kids, the kids who were injured, who didn't die, you know, um, as a parent, I can only, I I can't even imagine, I would lose my mind if something happened Mm -hmm. to one of my kids, (laughs) you know, um, in that regard. So, um, as a parent though, unfortunately, it's important that you are taking care of your mental health. Mm-hmm. And at the same time though, you can't get so wrapped up in your own mental health because you're responsible for an, or for an, a little human being. So right. I think that uh, maybe attending those types of things together uh, with your child, because uh, I know a lot of, a lot of places allow um, the family support, but at mm-hmm. the same time, also having an area where the child gets that support and then you get the support that you need. But at the same time, just constantly, you know, loving on that child, making sure they they feel safe. Um, you know, when they're in your care and keeping them home for as long as you need to oh, yeah. online. Uh, um, hopefully that school offers online education, if not maybe enrolling them into a school, you right. know, uh, where there is, where, where they can get online education until they are able to work through that, because it's going to be a process. It's not, not going to be something that happens overnight. Right. And, you know, and you're so right about all the different ways that kids uh, express themselves and getting their emotions out. And that's all going to be based on, you know, their age as well and giving them the space and the time to do that. And as a parent, you got to realize that this may take a long time for your child, you know, uh, and they may never be okay per se. Um, And the only example I, I can give like on a personal note is, you know, my, my granddaughter, who is, was my grandson's sister, um, it's been eight years. She hasn't cried yet. Eight years. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she was 12 when it happened and she's 19 now, going to be 20. She hasn't cried yet over what happened to her. So, and it's, and she kind of numbed herself and my daughter numbed herself and everybody kind of disconnected and, you know, um, trying to get that, that family unit together. You know, some kids may numb themselves. Some kids may be afraid to trust again. They may be afraid to make friends now because they're afraid that they're going to lose their friend or something. And, you know, they're, they could be, kind of like walking zombies, so to say, you right, know, even right. though they're little and where they guard themselves and like, I can't get close to you. And, you know, school now becomes, it's, it's not this safe place. And, you know, maybe when you start to make friends and you start to get comfortable, that fear could slip in, especially if you witness this, or if you were in that room, mm-hmm. you know, like that one girl. And it's like, and just seeing that and hearing the screams and hearing all that, that could make kids, not want to trust again. And, you know, they're in those formidable ages still. Right. 10, 11, that's a development. That's a very powerful developmental stage because that's identity starts at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. everything you need is created like basically up to six, but that 10, 11 years old, that's mm-hmm. when your identity is shaped and, you know, you're going into trying to fit in and all this other stuff. So that's, that's a formidable age. And to have something like this happen that that could stunt everything. And, you know, you have to give the kids 
that space and that ability, whether they want to talk, whether they want to cry, whether they want to scream or, mm-hmm. you know, um, but you have to monitor them and know when kind of let you, like you said, is you're either involved in a good parent. I don't, I like the word good, but you're either a healthy parent or an unhealthy parent, because if you don't notice what's going on with your kid um, or if they're, they once were real talkative and now they're not, or they, they once were real involved and now they're withdrawn. Those are things you need to pay attention to as a parent to right. be how is this affecting my child? Mm-hmm. And I also think, I know we've been uh, focusing so much on the kids that we, we haven't really said too much about the parents, but mm-hmm. um, there are parents who are hurting and traumatized oh, yeah. your child. Um, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of those kids had siblings too. Oh yeah. So yeah. Here's the thing about that. Um, the sibling is just as traumatized mm-hmm. and upset, yep. or the father, you know, other mm-hmm. family members. Um, but what I really want to, uh, to say too, is to the parents, they too need to utilize those same outlets, find constructive outlets to release your anger, your frustration, your hurt, um, and don't allow the situation to keep you from being a parent to the rest of your, to the, right. your other children. Because when, if that happens, then you have, <clears throat> you'll have a whole nother level of trauma on top of trauma, considering your children that are still here and believe yeah. you me, you do not want that kind mm-hmm. of, of issue. Um, when a child is neglected or mm-hmm. feel abandoned and they have nobody to turn to, to talk about how they're feeling about the situation, because yes, you lost a child, but they lost a sibling, right. you know, um, and now it, not only did they lose a sibling, now they've, they've lost a parent as well, because right. the parent has now become right. detached and not engaged. Right. And that, that, um, is exactly what happened in, in my oldest daughter situation with her kids everybody separated. And that's one of the things my granddaughter said to my oldest daughter. And uh, she's like, when we lost Niger, we lost mom too. And she kept focusing on losing her son. And people would say, well, you have two other kids. And she's like, yeah, but it's not like he was a spare child. So she had her own grieving process to go through, but yet you have to be very, very careful not to push everybody else out. And, um, you know, and that, right. that, that's a whole nother component because now with that, you know, just in light of this happening, that's already um, kids are dealing with anxiety. So they're going to be more prone to substance abuse going to be more prone to different things because they're going to want to try to numb the pain or not feel. And, you know, so they're already being set up for that. But then if you have a parent that is not involved or doesn't notice or is incapable, then that child has, like you said, not only lost their sibling or their classmate or a cousin. Now they've lost a parent as well. So double trauma. And you have the potential to, to lose a a more than one child. When you do that as a parent, you have to be, um, you have to be real with yourself and understanding. Yes, I, I'm I'm in a lot of pain right now. Yes, I've lost a child. But what you're ultimately, when you decide to stop being a parent in the midst of your trauma, it is it, it is 100% possible to be grieving, to be in pain, to be hurt and still parent. Um, it's just a matter of finding the right resources, the right support group, the right, you know, whatever that you need to help you get through that. Because the moment that you do that, you're what you're doing is you're sending a message to your other children that their lives are not as valuable as that child's life that you lost. And then they begin to seek what they are no longer getting from you and other people, whether it be gangs or there be drugs. And then they start to feel like nobody loves me. And then you might have a child that's now dealing with suicidal ideation. Then you might, or you have a child who becomes homicidal, whatever the case may be. These are real life things. You do not want that to happen. Exactly. And that's why I'm so glad, you know, um, talking about this tonight, because it affects trauma like this affects on so many levels and so many different people. And that's what we have to look at is it's not just this right here. It's it's Mm -hmm. that whole um, community that's involved, you know, uh, whether it's siblings, whether it's parents, whether it's cousins, whether it's classmates, whether it's friends, what everybody as a community is mourning. Everybody as a community is affected on a different level and everybody has a different level of healing and that they have to do. And there's different ways to approach it. Um, 
Now for parents, yeah, I mean, speaking to a counselor for yourself, for your children, family counseling and everything, that is definitely critical um, in finding somebody that is going to be a good fit because not every counselor is a good fit. Just because somebody is a licensed counselor does not mean they're a good counselor, does right. not mean they're the right fit. You know, it's like you, you, it may take you a minute to find that right fit for you. Um, you know, and you, and you, and your person that you talk to may not be the right fit for your child. Right. They may need to talk to somebody else and, you know, you can't worry about, you're the one that has to bring this healing for your child because it may not come from you because they may not even trust you to talk to them. It may come from somebody else and you have to open that up to allow it to come from any, by any means necessary. At this point, the focus is, you know, that they're okay, you're okay, and, and everybody gets what they need. Um, but there's lots of um, support groups, lots of resources out there. And, um, you know, we just wanted to get the conversation going, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree. I think this is a really good, a really good topic, really good conversation that needed to be had. Um, also, I would say to the parents, utilize your village. Um, if mm-hmm. you don't have a village, I would say create one. The, yeah. the godparents, the grandparents, mm-hmm. the friends um, that are in, allow them to take your, your other kids for a while so right. that you can so that you can breathe and process and grieve and, and do what you need to do. And at the same time, you know, just call and check on them, make, making mm-hmm. sure they're okay. But utilize your village. Those of you who are part of the villages of these parents or those, you know, uh, shootings that we haven't heard of, if it right. helps help the person in your village when you know that they are dealing with something like this so that the other children don't suffer on top of the trauma that they are already experiencing as well. Right. You know, and that, that's a great thing. Um, and I know we're going to be wrapping up, but there's always something that you can do. Um, even if it's, you know, helping them, helping that mother clean the house, bringing them some food, you know, it's, it's, it's those basic needs that people, overlook a lot of times that are, are the most needed, especially in the face of a crisis. Um, so I'm glad that we opened up this discussion, you know, as well. And um, if anybody has any, you know, immediate needs, you can always call 211, which is United Way, which is a 24-hour um, resource center. It'll give you anything and everything that you need in your community. So whether it's counseling, whether it's resources, whether it's food, whether it's whatever it is, you can call 211 24-7 from anywhere in the country and find out different resources that you need. But um, as far as people that have, you know, dealt with mass trauma and different things like this, you definitely want to seek out a mental health professional right now. It is critical that everybody has somebody to talk to or a way to express themselves, a way to, you know, work through all of this and realize that there's no timetable. There's no time limit to healing from your trauma, uh, especially when something like this happens, you know, um, you take your time and don't worry about what anybody else says. Like you should be over this by now. You may, it, it may take years and, and that's okay. Just, you know, begin the process, ask for help. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to say, Hey, I'm struggling right now. I don't know what to do, you know, and, um, and accept the help, you know? So that is all that I have for this evening. Um, thank you guys for uh, tuning in. Now, next week we will, continue with, um, I got to finalize the guest. I was going to say it, but I can't say it yet because this is a question about the guest. So next week we're going to have a very good show too, but I do, you know, um, want to reach out that if anybody needs to talk, you can always reach out to me directly. Um, you know, my website is totalbreakthroughcenter.com and I'm available to speak to as well and, you know, help you on the pathway to your healing. If nothing else, I can help find resources in your area. So reach out to me. But uh, thank you guys for watching. You've been watching me powered with Rhonda. Remember that everything you need is already inside of you.